0: Faith-based institutional investors recognize their responsibility and ability to make changes on large corporations. Fifty years ago, the Interfaith Center on Corporate Responsibility was formed. Today, the center has a coalition of more than 300 global investors, representing more than $500 billion. Father Seamus Finn, a member of that board of the ICCR, will share with us some insights relative to the current pandemic, and he will carefully outline the ICCR and its functions.
1: I think that maybe that all of that comes under the, the where where somebody falls. You know, you often find yourself. Well, I can't saying I can't wait for it to get back to normal. And then you catch yourself and then you begin to say, I wonder what normal will look like. And then I had a discussion yesterday with some people, well, maybe there are some things in normal that I should just, you know, confine to the graveyard and, and break open some new things. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's, that's true in just everyday living, but I think it's also true when it comes to commerce, when it comes to the economy, and it, when it comes to the larger issues.
0: I wish that I knew the history of how let's say our country, our society was changed when it came out of the Great Depression.
1: Had a few friends, most of them are dead now, but that I used to chat with that, you know, they were they would forever speak in glowing terms, uh, of the fact that uh they got a job with the um the the, the, the work program created after the Great Depression. Yeah, what was
0: that? The Worker WCC or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: And you look at those stories in the museums downtown, and you read about it, and you know, for an awful lot of people, that that was, you know, the foundation or the perspective that they took to the re- through the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. Somebody, uh, somebody gave them a job. It wasn't a high-paying job, but they felt like they were working. They were making a meaningful contribution. Uh, They were able to pursue some personal dreams, whether it was about family or marriage or whatever, uh, and they never forgot it. Uh, And um, that was a spirit that uh, took a great amount of government intervention. Uh, It took some bold political leadership. Uh, And, you know, you would certainly hope uh, that some of that is going to emerge. Uh, I'm a little, little on the skeptical side. The, the headline in, to, in today's Financial Times is by President Macron and says, will the coronavirus be the end of the European Union? And then I looked up on the one of the Vatican websites and the Cardinal uh, Helrich, he's written a, written a blog that basically says, you know, this may be Europe's last chance to get it together in terms of, you know, acting as a union, the 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 wealthier countries of the European Union helping the poorer ones. Uh, that often means the northern countries, uh, you know, being more attentive and more generous with places like Italy, Greece, and Spain. And we know the record is not good on that. You, you get the sense maybe, well, is he hoping against hope here? Uh Will this, you know, will this virus be a wake-up call? And I certainly hope and pray that it will be. But we've had a number of other crises previously in terms of the financial side. And uh, they haven't always, you know, opened the the spigot of generosity. Interesting statement that Macron made regarding the uh, sustainability of the EU. Well, you look at these, some of this stuff, I mean, because uh, uh, obviously this has been much of my life. Uh, the... United Nations is uh, is in its eighth decade, the World Bank and the IMF as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, The European Union, I guess, was probably around 1960 and the common market started to kick in. So you're talking about institutions here, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. And, um, you know, I suppose some would argue that they fulfill their mission. Others would argue that uh, the vision and the mission is still to be realized, and then others would say, "Well, time to go back to the drawing board and put some other uh, geopolitical, uh, international, global organization together." And uh, there is, you know, there's there's some reason to be, you know, I think thinking in those terms because uh, I suppose we're we're much more aware now of, of a few items that uh weren't around in 1945 or in 1960 yeah. and uh, maybe we don't have you know all the institutions in place or the agreements to collaborate or to cooperate to address them so that those are good questions uh, i don't think scrapping the institutions is a good place to start because in the middle of a uh, 7.5 billion people in the world and I, I don't think we can immediately erase the blackboard and say okay let's design this because uh, there's a lot of people would get hurt if you scrap it. So uh, I'm more of the mind that it's maybe needs to be reexamined, reformed, and, you know, rehabilitated uh, and looked at again to try and figure out what's, what, what is it that we need. And hopefully there are some brighter minds and some good, and some good thinkers out there who can help us with that.
0: Now, Seamus, I'm particularly interested in the work you do with institutional investors. So let's lay that uh, subject out. Let's talk about the ICCR and the mission statement and its practices. I, I just would like to have that as the central part of this discussion.
1: The Interfaith Center on Corporate Responsibility that you referenced it it will be fifty years old next year, and it was born out of a very, very simple inspiration that a group of faith-based ordinary local members of congregations and parishes wanted to figure out a way to do something about the abhorrent system of apartheid in South Africa.
0: So that was they the that was the original that was the uh, theme. original. Yep. Okay.
1: They were, you know, they were, we all know the history of it. And we know the fact that it was, you know, a basically a racist government, governing system mm-hmm. uh, that locked down the country and uh, basically built it on a whites only supremacy rule. They, you know, were well acquainted with the political levers that they had out there. Uh, go to the United Nations, go to their own government, put together groups of parliamentarians to speak against this, protest, all of that. And their insight was, well, what about, what's the role of major corporations in sustaining or supporting the government of South Africa? And that was their key question.
0: Are these churches and congregations primarily in the D.C., New York?
1: City? No, the, founder, the founders were, you know, were we're of national denominational group. We've always had the blessing of something like the National Council of Churches, which is where, you know, the Christian churches tried to come together, not around doctrine and not around belief, but around common action. And so, and many of these issues, particularly social justice issues, whether it was racism, inequality, discrimination, if they could act together, they wanted to act together. So many of the, Denominations have, were headquartered in New York, up on Riverside Drive, which is next to the rivers, famous Riverside Church. Mm-hmm. So they had a, a good collection of people in that building that, you know, had outreach to parishes and congregations all over the U.S. So that was the group that came together. So you would have been talking about the Episcopal Church, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, the Reformed Church. Anybody who was in that building, in some ways, was invited into to the conversation, to the strategy session, to say, what can we do? And out of that, they developed a, a set of practices to engage corporations. The Catholics came in a couple of years later, uh, and now if you look at the website of ICCR.org, uh, you're going to see that it's quite a diverse group of, first of all, Judeo-Christian groups. There's a number of Jewish members. There are a a small number of um, Islamic faith members, Uh, so it's expanded to being uh, interfaith and continues to grow. And it also has brought in a a more global face to this, so that in when it comes to action on some issues, it's not unusual for us to be joined by some of the more Eastern religions of the Buddhists, the Hindus, the Taoists, and but that's that's a that's a work still to be completed in terms of the actual coordination but it, when it comes to action it's a little easier to agree on doing something rather than sorting out you know, the, the differences in terms of beliefs and things like that.
0: Actions, are they set up on an annual agenda or is it a continuing
1: ever-expanding set of issues? If we started with apartheid, it wasn't very long that folks got into the use of the chemical agent orange in Vietnam. I got into some of the abuses of the land by, by mountaintop open pit mining in West Virginia, out into the Midwest and across the country. So today, I suspect there are probably 25 or 30 issues uh, around which faith-based uh, investors and others coalesce. We do try to prioritize the issues because um, it's impossible to marshal the resources to work on all of them. But it doesn't mean every, every investor is involved in every issue. We gather two or three times a year and set out our priorities, then look for common priorities with other groups, and then put together a strategy whereby we're going to you know, address the issue. The second obviously important part of this is as investors, and this is what you know so many people uh, forget, as an investor, you're a part owner of a company. Now, you may be a very small owner. But you are an owner. And if you own something, whether it's a house, a car, piece of property, it comes with responsibilities. Now, sometimes the responsibilities are that the government sends you a bill for taxes. But uh, it's also the, you know, the pride of ownership, uh, that you want it to reflect who you are and your values. Uh, you want it. You want it people to drive by and say, wow, nice job on painting that house or nice job on keeping the property up or Great garden you got growing there. So any of those kind of things. So I think that's true also in, in shareholder capitalism is to say, if I own some shares in company X, how much do I know about the company? Am I happy if somebody says, oh, you own shares in that company? They're a great company. What if they say they're a terrible company? So that's the other key piece I think that that operates in this is exercising responsible ownership of shares Uh, And doing that through the regulated process gives us the opportunity to once a year go to the annual meeting. It's annual meeting season right now, actually. File a resolution if we want to have presented at the annual meeting. Uh, Get up there and speak and question the CEO or the management. Or a softer approach might be to write a letter and say, I'd like to meet with some people from the company because... I've heard that there's some good things you're doing, and I'd like to know more about them. Or I've heard there's some terrible things you're doing, and I want to know why.
0: Is the ICCR
1: uh, a membership organization? It's It's a membership organization. It's a coalition. So that means that we have, you know, the members agree that here are the things we're going to work together on. Here's how we're going to hire staff to help us to do that and then we go to work so the members do quite a bit of the work we have some staff to do some work and along the way picked up quite a number of supporters it's it's not it's it's not impossible not easy for an individual to be uh, a part of the ICCR because to be a member it's it's a, be an institutional member so Your parish, your congregation, your synagogue, your mosque, your pension fund. You know, there's a lot of opportunities. We're not quite set up for the retail uh, individual member, but we do occasionally work with individual members. So it's a membership organization. It's a coalition. That means the things you want to be a part of, you sign up for. The things you don't want to work on, you just simply don't sign up for them.
0: I uh, have a question regarding mm. the ethical judgment of uh, sure. uh, let let's say company X is the most unethical. What's the role of the coalition with that?
1: I suspect that there's a couple of couple of answers to that question. I think the first one is it it would be highly unusual for any of our members to own company X if it was rated at the bottom of any number of sets of criteria or standards. Uh, So that's where many of us start. We have a a set of criteria by which we simply say, if the company is involved in this, we are not going to own it. If they're a tobacco company, if they produce nuclear weapons, Catholics, if they provide abortion services, if they um, promote cloning. Uh, for other denominations, if they're an alcohol company so so there 's a whole set of companies not it's not a you know it's probably seven eight percent of the listed companies that are excluded from the get go because simply the institution judges that their activities their services their products are, they don 't align well with core beliefs of the shareholder or of the faith tradition so that that takes a whole bunch of companies out right there so that's a that 's an opportunity now. You may judge to say, well, they're not as, they're not as bad as, as you think, and I'd like to try and convince them to change some of their behaviors. Well, you may own the shares because simply that gives you access to the annual meeting, gives you opportunity to talk to the board of directors, talk to the CEO. That's another strategy, which is generally called engagement, uh, that somebody says, you know, I'm going to go out and try and convert this company. That's probably the second option.
0: And then on the other end of the spectrum, there are companies that are probably extraordinarily good. So you no got, exactly that's true. Yeah. So you've got that company. Obviously, it's an investment that many in the coal want to make. Um, I'm, but is your participation with that company such that they become an agent for good? That-
1: sure, absolutely. I mean, there are there are some companies out there who got rating systems these days for pretty much everything. So you look at the end of the year reports and it says, you know, on a scale of one to 10 company X got a nine when it comes to respect for human rights or company Y got a 10 when it comes to respect for the environment. Obviously we're going to be looking at those companies and saying, wow, like what they are doing, like the CEO, like the direction they're going in, like the way they treat their workers etc. You know, you may build a portfolio around that and say, I want to be a part of what they're doing. Now, that's generally in the business. It's called best in class invest So you're picking out the leaders and that's the horse you want to ride for the race. So that's that's happening more and more. And I think for a lot of us, uh, we've been in the trenches of this. It's not always, uh, it's not always my favorite thing to get up and say, keep continually denouncing what a company is doing or telling them that we think they're in the wrong business or they're not doing something right. I think we've always hoped that we would get to a place where we'd be able to compliment some CEOs and some companies for what they're doing and encourage them to uh, spread the gospel, as it were. Um, I think last August, some of uh, Folks listening may be aware that the Business Roundtable, which is a U.S. institution or association, came out with this pretty pretty significant change to their mission and identified, put it simply, said, you know, we think shareholder capitalism has run its course and we want to promote now and work on stakeholder capitalism. So stakeholder capitalism means it's not just on return for the shareholder, but We want to see how our workers are doing, the communities where we are located and, and the communities where we serve. How are we treating the environment? How responsive are we to, you know, questions, complaints, whatever? So, you know, really widening the horizon of their perspective. And we know that there were three or four or five CEOs who are very much pushing for this. So um, we want to try and support them and acknowledge their role in this.
0: It occurs to me that a judgment about the, uh, let's say, quality or goodness of a corporation could, in fact, be quite wrong. Because I can envision a company having maybe some planning activities and goals that would be hidden from the investor, but would be important to the corporate.
1: Well, we don't do it specifically at that greater detail. I think that's probably what, you know, anla- the, the analysts are the one, the, if it's a financial analyst or a social analyst or reputational analyst, they're, they're going to do that because they're going to focus on one company quite often because some of these companies are very big. And, we do rely on their research, but we don't actively do that. But I should say that we do keep an eye on what the OCC does, and we do keep an eye on what the regulators do. And, uh, I mean, it's it's been like a sea change from 25 years ago that now, you know, there is so much information and so much data available